Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Brutes. Bridges. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a meat. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't. Give a shit. <laughs> hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I am absolutely doing great. You hear you hear any big news or any good rumors lately? Man, I heard that Brock Lesnar got into a little bit of a fight with Vince McMahon after WrestleMania backstage, and Shane had to step in. Man, the rumor and innuendo is running wild, brother. Well, I, you know, I heard a lot of crazy things over the last week. It's, it's, it's been a crazy week. What the hell is going on? Next thing you know, I mean, they're going to say that we're working for WWE. I mean, they're going to say that we have our own video version of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard on the WWE Network, allegedly debuting later this month. Get out of town. You know, the rumor, you mean, the rumor in window is that we sold out, Bruce. We did twice, man. It was crazy. We sold out New Orleans House of Blues, 600 plus people. And then we sold out something to waffle the very next morning. We are total sellouts. It was a weekend of sellouts for us. It was crazy. Well, the rumor in innuendo, Bruce, is that now the podcast is over. No, no, that would be that would be rumor innuendo in a complete 100% lie. I disagree. I think we're more over than ever. You know, now we've got a show on the network. It's not a rumor because we don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It's a fact, Jack. And uh, the podcast is not going to change. Isn't that right? Motherfucker. God damn. Well, pal, I like titties and I like chocolate. There you, there you go. Now, I mean, I do have to tell everybody, get your chapstick ready, because we're going to have to kiss Triple H's ass over time, are we not? I don't kiss ass, so, uh, hey, pucker up, have at it. No, come on, you know what to expect. We're still quoting the Observer, we're still pissing Bruce off, Bruce has still got his chapstick ready, I'm still going to call bullshit, and allegedly, Vince McMahon still likes a certain kind of chocolate. And uh, Jim Cornette, what, what are his thoughts about all this, Bruce? Fuck you, motherfucker. So there you Just go. Just saying. The show is not changing. And why would we want to? What a hell of a crowd we had at House of Blues. We need to thank a litany of folks. We told you last week, you know, we don't have a guest. We have guests. 
And boy, did we, we had Hornswoggle. We had Sean Mooney. We had Pat Patterson. We had Gerald Briscoe. We had JBL. We had Eric Bischoff. We had Jonathan coachman. We had a road warrior animal. Uh, we had, we had a who's who up there, including the hurricane. The hurricane coming through, baby. And, you know, and we had to finish it all off just like we did the year before to cap it all off. Except this time we capped it all off with a Hall of Famer in Double J, Jeff Jarrett, singing my hit single, Spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock spinning too slow and i gotta say we did a much better job than uh, they did the night before at the his all of his aim what a rib it was when wwe asked us to be at the hall of fame so they could make the announcement of course that's when most of you saw the commercial that something else to wrestle with bruce pritchard was coming to the wwe network i assumed they wanted us there to get a shot of us for getting that song over in the last year But not only did they not recognize you, they didn't even sing with you. They sang three feet away from you. Jeff Jarrett's a heel. Well, he's always been a heel. He's a heel. And if he had come out of a box, he would have been over as much as he was singing acapella the very next night with us. So thank you to everybody who showed up. A shout out to our man, Grado from Impact Wrestling. And of course, Ron Funches stopped by. Uh, Justin from Sports Illustrated was in the house. And I really appreciate... Deitch and Jimmy and everybody over at Sports Illustrated helping us get the word out about our new WWE Network show. So let's catch you up, boys and girls. The first show is going to air later this month, or at least that's the plan right now. It's not going to be produced by WWE. It is going to be Bruce and I. We're not doing it in a studio. We're not doing it at a live event. I'm going to be at my house. Bruce is at his house. We can cuss. We can use adult language. We are going to bring up all the things you never thought we would talk about on WWE Network. I'm going to say Hulk Hogan. We might talk about Chris Benoit matches. China will be mentioned. Nothing is off limits. It's the same show you've enjoyed here, except now there's a video format, right, Bruce? And you get to see me get frustrated with Conrad and Conrad get frustrated with me. All the things that you've always wanted. Boy, I wish I could have seen his face when he said that. Well, you're going to see it and it's going to be a part of the WWE Network. So stay tuned to all of our social networking because as soon as we know and as soon as it's official, we're going to be letting you know so you're not going to want to miss this just like you're not going to want to miss when we come back to new york city on saturday august the 18th back at the gramercy head on over to brucepritchard.com to get tickets and man there's just so much to talk about but hell we have a little a little show to do too don't we we do have a show to do today but we wanted to address all the rumor in india up front 60 to 90 minutes weekly It's going to be coming your way on the WWE network. So if you haven't subscribed yet, go subscribe. You're going to want to watch along and have fun with us here. And, uh, you're going to need that WWE network today because we're going to be covering one of the biggest Raw's ever. It's from April 13th, 1998. It's the 20 year anniversary. So go ahead and fire that up. All right, Bruce, it's time for what everybody's really here for. What happened when? Monday night raw finally beat WCW Monday nitro in the Monday night wars. It's been a long time coming and we're finally here. Hopefully by now you fired up your WWE network, man. It's pretty easy to do. You just want to find the raw replays. You want to look for raw 255. 
That's raw number 255. The date of course is April 13th, 1998, 20 years ago today. And, uh, this is a pretty iconic episode. So what we're going to have you do is fire up your WWE network. You're going to press mute. And then you're going to listen to Bruce and I talk you through one hour and 42 minutes of the WWE doing what they do best. Vince McMahon versus stone cold, Steve Austin, Bruce, give us a countdown. Tell us when to press play and we'll get this party started. Okay. I'm all zeroed out. We already have the TV 14 thing is already played through. So I'm going to count down five, four, three, two, one play. So when I hit play, you hit play ready. Are you ready, Conrad? You don't look no, ready. No, no, hang on, hang on. If you're going to do this 1998 style, you don't say, are you ready? Are you ready? No, come on. How do you say it? Come on. What are you? What, what the hell? Come on. You're already giving me shit. Didn't DX are, used to say something like that? Can are you, you ready? Isn't that what they said? You, how do you have a good Triple H impression until you actually need it? And then you don't fucking have one. Are you ready? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he whispered it i think he would go are you ready that was good okay well that's so, the story you can't are you ready right, this is are like, you ready that was more vince will you fucking play the thing <laughs> here we go everybody this one's for real here we go in five four three two one play and now, oh wait, this is the wonderful signature. You know, I never really liked this signature all that much. I thought it was way too noisy. If you ask me, it is noisy, but, um, it's what we had, man. I always liked that little flash with the logo. And of course here we're seeing what's happened since stone cold, Steve Austin became the champion at WrestleMania 14. He got a new belt the next night. And the week after that, he dressed up in a suit as Vince McMahon's corporate champion. Is this all, um, there you go. This is like probably the beginning of the hot run for Stone Cold Steve Austin as the top draw in the entire business, is it not? Absolutely. You know, it started before this, culminated at WrestleMania, and here we go to make the corporate champion, as Vince was trying to make with Steve with the nice tailored suit, brand new championship belt. And not exactly what Steve Austin was looking to do. So it was the anti-authority establishment starting right here, right now. It's sort of weird to think about too, that just a handful of months prior to this. Oh God, that was a stiff nut shot, by the way. That's something that uh, happens a lot in like high schools and colleges and even on sales teams where guys just go around and sort of nut tap or nut check each other. Was that a big deal in the locker room? Uh, it was more a sportsman's pad on the other side. Now you check out this open of Monday night raw. The, the, this was some of the best opens that we ever did. And this is the work of one David Sahadi at uh, a wonderful old warehouse that we had in Connecticut up, um, up around, I don't know, Bridgeport way. So this was the one, if I remember right, that you guys actually filmed in 1995. 96, 97, cause you guys did uh, several, right? But this one here, uh, maybe parts of it were shot before, or was this all done in 97? I believe most of that was done in 97, just kind of a revamp and the pyro going wild Monday night raw in Philadelphia, the city of brother love, I might add. And 
it was just, you know, it was a great feeling. It's hot coming right off of WrestleMania, and everybody is still abuzz and still hot because it was Stone Cold Steve Austin, and this was his, man, this was his town, and this was his audience. It really was. Going back to uh, when he was a, a star here for a hiccup, a cup of coffee, if you will, for ECW, but every time they came back, Philadelphia was one of those towns that really responded to him, probably Chicago, a handful of others. What do you think it was about certain cities that really gravitated towards the stone cold character? Anytime that you have a, a strong, you know, a city with a strong sports team or something like that, you know, they have passionate fans and for Austin, he connected with this audience and he connected with the people in Philadelphia and in that Northeast, they loved him probably because it was, we're finally getting Vince as a character and they wanted to hate that authority figure. We just saw, uh, the announcers, Michael Cole and Jim Ross ringside, and they're wearing jean jackets. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Go ahead. I brought it up. Dude, they were the most uncomfortable damn thing, but they look like ass too. The one that Jr. was wearing with the, you know, the like the Letterman's jacket, those were kind of cool, but still, it it was a look that Vince thought was cool right before this, and everybody wore it, and it just was yuck, if you ask me. You see Stone Cold Steve Austin slinging around the Big Eagle belt, which is uh, the redesign of the Winged Eagle that you guys had Reggie Parks, you know, make for you that probably had like a ten year run in the WWF. And now here he's sporting a blue world title with a totally new design from Joe Marshall. Uh, who was, who was behind de- designing this belt with, with blue leather? Cause it does seem a little unconventional for a world title at the time to be on a colored strap like that. Well, it was just to be something different. Vince wanted a, wanted a new championship and he wanted something different for Steve so that it wasn't, you know, the same old, same old Vince actually liked this design and it was a new beginning and a new start for Austin. Now, of course here, stone cold is doing what he does best, getting the crowd riled up. And I know that these days people sort of complain that raw always starts with a promo, but when it was stone cold, Steve Austin, nobody was complaining, right? You know why nobody was complaining? Because they knew that shit was going to happen, and they knew that it was about ready to break down. If Austin was in the ring, it was unpredictable, and shit was happening some way, somehow. Steve always promised that, and it was just the simple watch him move in the ring. He never stops moving in the damn ring. So there's always at least something going on. He's not standing there static with a microphone in his hand, cutting his goddamn promo. He's moving around. It's a lot of interaction with the crowd. So it was different. People were a part of the show. It's also weird in hindsight to look and see so many photographers here ringside because these days that just doesn't happen. But even here in 98, the wrestling magazine scene was a big deal. Was it not? Well, it had, it had kind of come back. We had run the gambit of there were no magazine photographers anywhere near the ringside area and they could sit up in the hard camera section if they wanted to take pictures we'd get them tickets up there but then this was kind of a new era and vince was allowing as you see vince peeking his head through here being called down by steve Uh, but it was a new era and we were allowing more photographers to come down and more people to cover us let's talk about what's going on here vince mcmahon is trying to sort of um bridle the new young buck 
and he, uh, he wants no part of it. You know, Steve Austin does not want to be broken and, and, and turned into this corporate champion that Vince McMahon wants. And so this is when we really start to see the emergence of the stooges. Now we've seen the stooges going back to probably the fall of 97 when Austin was first injured with the neck injury. And they did all those uh, angles, including, uh, McMahon taking a stunner at Madison square garden. But this is sort of one of the coming out episodes, at least to me of Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. Wouldn't you agree? This was in so many ways, the, the coming out episode, not only for Pat and Jerry, but also for Vince himself as a true bonafide heel character that people gave a shit about. So it, <laughs> the whole package going back and watching this show, you see what is going to be the scene for so many raws to come for the next few years and to completely change the tone of wrestling and the WWF forever. So talk to me about the, the SWAT guys here. I assume that these guys are just local independent talent who you guys threw some right gear on. Oh, that's, it says police right there on them. That, that looks like some intimidating police SWAT guys with the little chin strap, all crooked ass on him. And especially the way that he's holding the billy club there. Like he's never look- used it before in his life. <laughs> <laughs> like he's holding on for dear life is, you know, you, you hear Vince and Steve and their little banner back and forth. And it was the first time that you had somebody actually confronting the authority figure in Vince. And we're all acknowledging Vince is the owner folks. Yeah. He's was, the one calling the shots. It was interesting because when he poked his head out at the top of the ramp, Jr. actually called it out and said, uh, of course, Vince McMahon, the owner of the world wrestling federation and Stone Cold Steve Austin has taken him to task here because the unforgiven pay-per-view is coming up before you know it quicker than a hiccup. And he doesn't have an opponent and he wants to know by God, who's he facing at unforgiven 1998. And, uh, he wants an answer and Vince McMahon says he doesn't have one for him. He hasn't decided yet. And Austin takes Vince to this and says, oh, that's just because you don't want to tell me, uh, that pay-per-view is actually going to happen in just 13 days. So we're not leaving a lot of time here to build value for who the opponent would be. And that's not even all that important tonight. Is it Steve? Steve. Well, you know, it's all about the whole, just that's where I let's... threw to you to do an impression. Well, hang on. I was going to get there for goddamn kid. If just give me a break and let me get my goddamn promo out here. Just a little goddamn bit. Because the fact of the matter is, is that you, when you describe the kind of champion that you're looking for, it's Ivy League. Even though I know that you went to some college down there in South Kakalaki, North Kakalaki, one of them damn Kakalakis down there in Kakalaki country. And you're Talk about being in fine tailored suits. And JR's over there talking about how these suits are twelve, fifteen hundred dollars when the fact of the matter is, I know for a fact that they're right off the rack from the men's warehouse for three fifty. Buy one, get two free. So tell me who my goddamn opponent is, because at the bottom line is, I think that you're the guy that wants to be the WWF champion. When you look in the mirror, Vince, you see yourself wearing my belt, don't you? Well, that was brutal. I'm really glad you stopped there. <laughs> Goddamn, pal. I don't know what you're talking about here. 
Oh my gosh. In the middle of all this silliness, I feel like I should remind everybody that this is indeed a sellout. 14,280 fans are on hand here paying over a quarter million dollars, 253 grand. In fact, and merchandise sales are through the roof, $153,000 in change in merchandise in a single night. It's worth mentioning that that night nitro drew 16,827 and they did that in Minneapolis. So wrestling is super, super hot at this time. The business is absolutely on fire, man. Everything, you know, and everybody, thank God, knock on wood. Business was good at this time and guys are making money. Good times to be in it. It's funny though, because a lot of times, you know, we as wrestling fans got so programmed to hearing about the Monday night rating wars that we sort of envision the WWF as not doing well in business here. But the reality is nobody knew this was going to win the ratings war and it, it sold out and they had over 400,000, you know, in revenue that night. So business was not down, even if they were in second place in ratings. Well, yeah, we, we lost ratings if you were comparing ratings wars but business was good wrestlemania would come off the most successful wrestlemania in a long long time and everybody was talking about it we should also mention here that the idea is stone cold is giving vince mcmahon an ultimatum and he's saying he has 30 minutes to make a decision it's going to be easy way or hard way and he's saying you know hey you're going to challenge for my wwf championship title and uh challenging to a real wrestling match, something that nobody ever really assumed we would see from Vince McMahon. Let's go back and talk. Hey, did, I'm sorry. Did you catch that? Vince putting his arm behind his back, basically trying to get Steve. Goddamn, Steve, get to the park. You can kick my ass with the arm behind your back. That's funny. So chat let's, me yeah. up here. You know, let's talk about it. When did, when did this idea first come about? You know, uh, I heard about it the week before Vince Russo was, was working with Vince, Vince Russo and Jim Cornette were doing a lot of the creative and TV this time. So I had heard about it during that week and it was kind of like, what if, and we're all thinking about just see Vince with his hand behind his back, <laughs> keeps putting it back there. Like, God damn, Steve, get to it. You have a hand behind your back. It had, it had been brought up and we're thinking, okay, what do you do with it? If you, if you do it and it's like, well, goddamn, we're not going to give it to him. You know, you get to the point and we get to dude love and dude love actually having the match with Steve later on. And you get to the pay-per-view at that point. This mother's day and father's day, look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it, I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for mother's day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a, a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see paintyourlife.com can really create a hand painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. 
you can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson. Paintyourlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together, even if they've never been there. You pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes, and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks. But you work hand-in-hand with the artist to get every detail perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going, to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion, that's what I got, and I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. We should remind everybody here um, that I guess I should say I was right. The two guys who were here in SWAT uniforms are actually independent wrestlers, Donnie B and Gino Caruso. Hey, what's your favorite Donnie B match? That one. Yeah. Um, this idea of Vince McMahon getting into a wrestling match. How does Steve receive that idea? At first, you know, I think Steve had the same kind of concerns that we did as far as, okay, you know, then what? What do you do with it? And no one thought that Vince, the character, Mr. McMahon, was going to take off the way that it was or the way that it did. So at first, it's kind of like, are we building something here that we can't pay off? And are we building something here that nobody's going to care about? So it it was a means to an end. All of this was done to build to dude love coming out and the turn up with dude love. So no one at this point had any idea that, oh my God, we've got Austin McMahon. That's going to be a huge focal point of the company for the next several years. And so the line here is, you know, the easy way is. We have a match tonight and you got a half hour to decide the hard way is a handpick a cameraman and just beat your ass backstage, flatten the tires out on your car. You're not leaving. I'm going to whip your ass one way or another. Is it for the title or not? And he's doing this at least Austin says, because McMahon really secretly wants to be the champ. That's the reason he had this new belt designed. That's the reason he wants him to talk like him and dress like him and carry himself like him because he thinks the champion should be someone like him. And so that's sort of the crux of the situation. And that really is 
sort of where you guys came up with the antagonistic, you know, everybody hates their boss deal. This is a, a wonderfully done skit here where we see a camera peeking around the corner. We feel like we're eavesdropping on the Stooges talking Had to Vince face. McMahon and they're, they're encouraging Vince to just do it. You know, I know you can do it. Just do it tonight. Get it over with. And one of the best lines from, from Briscoe here is, um, talking about answering the challenge. And he says, you've broke the rest of them. Break him tonight. And I, I thought that was such a cool line, you know, cause if you believe all the dirt sheets and all the rumor and innuendo, then you believe that Vince McMahon has sort of had his battles and ups and downs with the Hulk Hogan's and the Bret Hart's and the ultimate warriors. And to say you broke them all break him tonight. Pretty well-written line there. Is that a Vince Russo line? Do you think? A lot of that, especially, you know, this kind of early on, a lot of those were just suggestions beforehand. It wasn't a lot of scripting. It was an idea of here, you guys are building him up and those guys coming up with a lot of that on their own. And Russo may have suggested some of those lines, but it was, they had a lot more ease (laughs) that it wasn't as scripted as it became. Process this. The first match on the show is a match with chains. How crazy is this? I'm not talking about the wrestler chains, although he's in it. I mean, actual chains and you've got the disciples of apocalypse and the Los Bariquas here and uh degeneration X is here to just sort of scout things out. And you see a very juvenile, um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley walking around crotch chopping the camera and DX can't help themselves, but get involved in some of the action, but it does say a lot to where the business was when literally the first fucking match on the card has chains involved four chains, (laughs) you know, four chains. And I love, you know, I love the idea. And and you look at these chair shots going on to Brian Lee on the outside of the ring. Holy Uckfay. But you look at the concept of the chain match. Everybody is chained to a corner. So they're not chained to each other. They're chained to a corner. They could use the chains. I thought it was pretty damn innovative. I've never seen one before and I've never seen one since. And I think it's a pretty cool idea, frankly. A pedigree on top of the chair on the floor for primetime Brian Lee. Which looked like it hurt Hunter's knees. More I, than I was thinking the same Brian thing. Brian Lee, damn. I'm like, God, I can't imagine dropping on your knees on a chair like that, but what do I know? I've well, thought, now, you know, Mr. Ass is going to drop his ass on a chair right now. One of the things I've always, you know, been fascinated with when I go back and I watch this is just how finished the ringside area looks now in 2018 compared to the way it did. Then you've got some exposed concrete. You've got like a loose rug. You see the wires and the cable exposed everywhere. Uh, the ramp doesn't have lighting all down the side. In fact, you know, I know I'm probably alone in this, but that fucking ramp always looked like the U-Haul ramp. Did it not? It's like a giant U-Haul ramp. I think it was a giant U-Haul ramp. I think it was just <laughs> the same ramp from the trucks. who said, all right, after we load the trucks, we made the ramp. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't always the prettiest and now everybody just gets involved, but it's okay because it's a chain match. It's a four corner chain match. And I love how, if you watch here in a minute, Savio Vega, who's chained, it's just going to take his chain off in the middle of the match and just decide, okay, well, I'm not going to use this anymore. And just, uh, unchains himself, which anybody could have done at any time during the match. It's always kind of funny to me. Remind us again, your favorite segment ever that had DX and the disciples of apocalypse. 
that would be uh tinkle tinkle piss piss well, there you go and that happened just, the week before on raw just so everybody's in the loop on why we're seeing what we're seeing here yeah because anybody that goes tinkle tinkle piss piss on your damn bike they in trouble just saying and so it's a weird association here just for a minute where it looks like dx is sort of siding with the bariquas Los Bariquas, it's our chingao. And nice little double uppercut from uh, the eighth wonder of the world. And as you might remember, Savio Vega was the mystery tag team partner for DX just a couple of months prior at No Way Out 98, which is available in our archives at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. But here, of course, uh, that ship has sailed, and there's Mr. Ass laying the metal to him. Uh, Sean Waltman in this character, X-Pac, I mean, does he not fit the profile perfectly at the time of what you need in a gang like this? You know, actually going back and watching this, especially during this time was DX fit the profile of JR said it in, in, in the last segment coming up of the sophomore high school gang of all the guys just thought they were too cool. And, and everybody, you know, laughed at everybody else's <laughs> shit. No, that's exactly right. And here we go. Savio being fed to, uh, China, man, it's still weird to see China. And now this is one of my favorite segments on the entire show. Another little candid shot where we're sort of eavesdropping on the Stooges talking to McMahon, but this time we've got Shane McMahon here as well. And Shane is trying to convince Vince that this is a bad idea. And they tell a story about Shane on a motorcycle. And, and Vince says, oh, you were a lunatic over a hundred miles an hour. And Shane's trying to compare that to maybe his dad taking on stone cold, Steve Austin. That's good stuff. Don't you think Bruce? Because it's true. And the son trying to convince the father, and that a better case. You don't know Shane, Shane or Mac. You don't know the old man. He knows what he's doing. And Jerry trying to convince him. But it had a real feeling to it. And I think that even those that didn't know Shane or who Shane was, you could feel the son trying to convince the dad not to do something stupid. My son does that to me all the time. It doesn't work. Well, you know, army be all you can be is, um, a big sponsor for you guys on this episode. What do you reckon a sponsorship like that would have ran at the time? Shit. I have no idea. I don't know what the hell they run because, you know, a lot of these were, they were either tags coming in and out. Okay. So they were that kind of sponsorship or they were for the pay-per-view. And here we see Vince coming down. This is before he had the whole total Mr. McMahon walk down Pat. Yeah. Not only that, but he would never wear this these days either. These days he's got to be suited and booted. And here he's got a blazer and some slacks that looks like uh, a holdover from when he was hosting all-star wrestling 10 years prior. I'm wearing the same outfit this, well, you know, no, oh yeah. Well. You wear this to our live shows today. Um, this is, and I look good. What's funny to me is Scott Taylor, just in a flash right there. looks like he's Dolph Ziggler's uncle <laughs> or his little brother way back then. There you go. So Vince McMahon is going to come down and interrupt a, uh, a light heavyweight tag team match. And he wants to address the folks and he's going to talk about the heritage of the company and that. This has been in his family for over 50 years, and he wants to pass it down to his kids and his kids, kids. And 
that he's sort of trying to endear himself or so it seems to the wrestling audience. You guys do a really phenomenal job with this because you have a, I, I think you've told us before that you called it a thread throughout the entire show. Absolutely. And it, you, you try and just keep people hooked all the way through as to, you, you got part one, part two, part three. It's like chapters in a book. Um, this show, you said you first heard about the idea a week prior chat me up. When did you know that this is going to be like everything that we're doing? <laughs> well, you mean in the show or overall, because in the, in the show, when it was pitched to be Vince and, and Steve, it's just now it just follows suit. You've, you've got to hook them and you've got to keep telling this story all the way through the show. Um, you know, I probably saw the first draft of the show on Thursday or Friday before. And at the time, the majority of the formatting was done by Russo. Was that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Russo, Russo and Cornette were, were writing the shows at this time. Man, it's hard to imagine a time when those guys actually fucking got along. Is it not? Nobody said, I don't think they got along. Oh, <laughs> I, got well. I got But you. they coexisted. And, well, and one was the yin to the other's yang. Yeah, I get that. This is, um, this show has been described as one of the hottest 117 minutes of television in company history, in some ways, almost reinventing pro wrestling television, unfortunately with wrestling barely being an afterthought in the product. Uh, of course it drew an all time record in a competitive situation. 4.63 is the rating. We're going to get a 4.3 in the first hour and a 4.95 in the second hour and a 7.1 share chat everybody up about what a share means. Cause I feel like we just sort of gloss over that a lot. Well, a share is the percentage of the audience watching. So that, that is your share of the total, uh, tel- uh, households using television, the hut level. So, so let's oh, say you keep saying like you've done that a few times now. Oh, the hut level. What? Nobody fucking. Well, knows. I said household using television at the is, moment. Is called the hut. So of everyone who has a TV on right then, uh, 7.1% of all the households who are watching TV are watching this show, which is pretty incredible. By comparison, Nitro does a 6.97 share and it does a 4.34 rating compared to Raw's 4.63. This is good stuff. You know, we're not taking a commercial break between the McMahon interruption and announcement. JR is concerned and doesn't want to see Vince McMahon get hurt. So in the, out of the, the booth and up the ramp, he goes lights go out. Here comes the undertaker and he's choke slamming everybody in sight, including one incredible choke slam on Taylor here. And now the tombstone for his trouble running roughshod over the light heavyweights. It makes Undertaker look strong, but it sort of uh, really drives home that these are not serious competition in the light heavyweight division. Well, sure they are, but Undertaker's not a light heavyweight. He's out looking for his brother, and he's pissed off, and no one is competition for a pissed-off Undertaker, especially one with a damn teardrop on his face. It's amazing when you see and you think about all the different incarnations of the Undertaker the way his costumes have changed, the way his hair's changed, the way his, his body's changed. Like at different times, he seems leaner or, you know, thicker, whatever you want to call it. This is, um, the evolution of the undertaker character. Cause he looks totally different than just a year prior. 
Yeah, he does. And that is, in my opinion, what has always made The Undertaker relevant because he changes with the times. He's constantly reinventing the character. And here, you know, another big part of this is you're getting to hear more from him verbally. And he's cutting his promo on his brother Kane. The whole angle with Kane and Paul Bear is red hot right now. So it just gave people more of him and more reason to get behind him. They're going to take a commercial break here. And I, I always crack me up on that shot because you see a little bit of smoke sneaking out of the stage, but not enough. And it always made me wonder like in kayfabe, what the fuck is the smoke? Like is, is Gangrel down there with a goddamn cauldron? What's going on? You never know. It could, it could have just been me and somebody else down underneath the stage, taking a quick little break. Oh, there you go. Roll tight on that. So two weeks ago, we're seeing highlights here of, uh, right after WrestleMania when Vince gets another stunner and Austin has his new belt. Uh, Starburst has been a big partner for you guys for a long time. And there's another fucking jean jacket this time on Kevin Kelly. We've talked about flattering, this, isn't it? We've talked about this a lot before, but I'm not sure that everybody um, remembers why was one show called war zone and the other called raw is war because they were that way you could get credit for two different shows. If you had one show, they accumulated it over the entire time. This way you could just do it two shows and you could get two, two separate ratings. And I don't want to hear about it. Jr. Goddamn bitch. I got a house. <laughs> I don't care. Look at my ass, JR. You're used to looking at it. Get my bag, Shane, because I'm a pro. God damn it. Go do your job, JR. And I've got my bag in the car. Always prepared. It is sort of fun to see him uh, disperse Shane to go get his gym bag from the car. And, and next up, we've got WWE Hall of Famer himself. Go ahead. Hit it, Bruce. Spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. We heard that a lot this past weekend. So let's well, talk, you know. let's talk about it. Of course, uh, raw broke, not only it's quarter hour audience record, but the all time competitive quarter hour audience that was set just a week prior with sting taking on Kevin Nash over on nitro. And, uh, this is the, the match that never took place, which did a 6.0 rating, um, head to head, you know, WCW got the win that week, but you guys bounce back here. Does the success of the sting Kevin Nash rating make you guys think, Man, we, what can we do out of the box? What can we do special? Is this you guys responding to their record rating the prior week, or would you are you going to say that those are just unrelated? That they are unrelated because Vince was worrying about our business, and our business was on fire. So he was looking at everything that we can do for our business, and and stopped. You know, wasn't really concerned with theirs. Yes, we were watching what they were doing, and yes, we're looking at all that. But our stuff was hot, and he was just trying to figure out more things to do to take it over and win. I guess we should mention here, the last time Raw won the rating was June 10th, 1996. That's when Kevin Nash returned to WCW and joined Scott Hall to form the Outsiders. 
Um, and you guys actually beat it with ultimate warrior and Jerry Lawler. And, uh, I think the undertaker and British bulldog was the main event that week. You won a 2.7 to a 2.6, but the following week on June 17th, nitro won and never looked back. They won 83 weeks in a row. That's a nice ring to it. Um, chat me up here. How big of a deal is this when the rating comes in the next day and you guys realize, holy fuck, we won. Well, I know you won't believe it, but it was, it was great. We were happy, but Vince was more concerned with just take care of business and we have to worry about what we're going to do next. In the ring, we're seeing a top rope superplex set up by Jeff Jarrett with Takamichi Noku, and, uh, they're doing it onto a pretty scattered looking ring because you guys had released a bunch of flyers from the ceiling promoting Jeff Jarrett. And he was supposed to make his singing debut. I feel like we've heard that before at Unforgiven in a couple of weeks. And out here at ringside doing commentary is the Tennessee stud himself, or I guess his name's Tennessee Lee here. Uh, Colonel Robert Parker, you might remember from WCW. Um, how does he come into the company to this Tennessee Lee character? Is this a cornet idea? This was something to just give Jeff a little bit more color and to give Jeff more pizzazz, give him a promoter and, dress dress up the package of double j jeff jarrett and dressing up the ring right now a guy slipping all over the fuck with these damn flyers all over the place talking jeff both just slipping everywhere but parker was a great had a great gift of gab and just added to the presentation and he's a big tall motherfucker too and it's uh it's deceiving how tall he is and look all of a sudden there club kamikaze comes in and uh, we're going to see a three-on-one combination here as they all do different finishing maneuvers. My favorite of which is the Centon bomb here. Big fan of that move. Chat me up here. That's Dick to go. That's his name. That's old Dick to go going down there. You know, I have never in my life heard that pronounced that way. <laughs> and I am so glad that you just did because I will never say it the other way ever again. Uh, is who, there another way to say it? Who in the back? first called it dick to go i mean said nope. dick to go <laughs> that was his name man i feel like a lot of guys in the back are ordering that at the time hey so this feels like something vince mcmahon would not have been a big fan of having the ring sort of papered with these flyers as a fan it looks super fucking cool and i think it's a really fun idea it feels like a vince russo idea but as far as maybe wrestler safety maybe not the best idea well, that wasn't always a big thought on, on Russo's part. Wouldn't it be great if they were f all over the place and people slipping on them? And I'll kick goddamn Vince McMahon's oh, ass. Please stop that. So here we are again. The thread continues. We've seen all these little vignettes backstage with Vince. Vince has come back out to the ring to address everyone. And now we've got a backstage interview with Stone Cold. I think one of the reasons you guys did such a strong rating here is you didn't try to mix it up. WCW at the time was trying to have a lot of different looks. So they would have 15 different matches and you know, they'd have luchadors and all this other stuff. You guys are really driving home the main event, the main event, the main event. That's a Vince McMahonism, is it not? It's the only thing that there is to drive home that last segment. Now watch Mr. McMahon. He's going to kick. You got to grab it and throw the shoulder, throw the shoulder. And then you get him in there and then you'll, you'll take him down and shoot him and break it, break his leg there. Mr. McMahon. I got to tell you, Pat Patterson wearing a tie 
with a short sleeve button up makes me think he's here to repair my fucking copier. What's wrong with that? Please tell me that you will wear a tie and a short sleeve button up shirt to a show very soon. No, I don't think I've ever even done that one. I mean, he's here to work on our fucking Xerox machine. No doubt about it. But he's a good singer. So some interesting entrance music here for Ron Simmons. And Ron Simmons is coming here. Of course, he's Farouk. He's being introduced as the former leader of the Nation of Domination. And he's got the taped ribs, which has always been a favorite of mine in wrestling when they did the taped ribs. Uh, where, where did you guys get the rib tape? Well, you got, you got to tape them up in case you got an injured rib. You got to tape your ribs so that everybody knows that you got an injured rib so that they can then take the tape off and work on the injured ribs. I get it. That's wrestling one Oh one for fuck's sake. I'm not arguing that. I'm just wondering where'd you get the rib tape? It rib tapes are us. Where the fuck do you get your rib tape? Never had a need for any. I've never, uh, I had a rib injury that I needed someone to take advantage of. Well, you know, just saying, if you ever do, you know where to go. It, it amuses me too that not only does he have the ribs taped, but he's like, I'm not going to wear a shirt. <laughs> and I know that he can't wear a shirt because he's got to show off the ribs. I- no, because he's got the hurt ribs and the, 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 the shirt, the weight of the shirt hurts the ribs. God, I'm such an idiot. I'm sorry, Bruce. I know. I, you know, I don't understand why, you, why it is that you don't understand. It's just some nonsensical stuff like this in wrestling always tickles me like okay i'm gonna take off all my my bracelets and watches and rings and all my jewelry and i'm gonna take off my shirt too why well they need to see that i got my ribs taped and i don't want to break anything of my shit so here comes rocky as he's being called here by farouk the rock is really coming into his own here in april of 98 is he not yes he is and this is the emergence of the rock when he would stop Farouk down and the audience would just completely shut up and hang on every word. We knew rut row, you know, we got something special here and this son of a bitch coming out was commanding that audience and everything he did. Hold this Mark, you damn hall of famer uh, of those guys. Okay. Look at who's in the hall of fame. All of you them got- except d well, Rock's not in the Hall of Fame. Well, yet. but come on, he's I mean, get out he of will here. be. Yeah. Yeah, he will be. And but yeah, I mean it's it's absolutely I think if you were to ask people then who the last one to go in at that time would have been, I think people would have chosen Mark. Well, because he was so new to the business. You know That's what I mean. Not yeah. not anything on Mark, yeah, but I mean he was the freshest, he was the newest, and who'd have thunk that he'd be the third one in. How cool is it too that half of the nation of domination on the U-Haul ramp here, um, you know, they're going to make sure you mind your P's and Q's when you get a lap dance. I don't get it. Well, you know, I'm just saying, actually, I do get it now. I didn't get it at first, <laughs> but actually only, actually only one fourth of them does now. Uh, d D-Lo, D-Lo is, uh, taking up residence at, uh, guarding something else now. Uh, is he still in Vegas? He is still in Vegas. So he's garden weed now. There you go. There you go. I like it. It works. It's a good, honest job. And now this is a battle of some damn badasses right here. As a matter of fact, 
Yeah, this is sort of fun, you know, to go back and see Steve Blackman, Ken Shamrock, Mark Henry, uh, Kama Mustafa, Ron Simmons. Fuck, man, you don't want to be anywhere near that shit, do you? That's what I'm saying, man. Uh, first of all, I don't want to be in there with the, quote, working punches being thrown in there because there aren't a whole lot of working punches. And I'm laughing at the little referees going in to try and break up all these studs. I don't want to get in between Rock and uh, Ron Simmons. D- I, none of them. But Earl Hebner, I mean, Dave Hebner is going to break them up. We haven't talked about the Hebners a ton here on the show outside of that phenomenal angle on main event. And we've almost never talked about, I think that's referee Jack Doan. Am I saying his name right? Jack Doan is in there. Jim Corderas is in there. Uh, of course there's Dave Hebner and Corderas keeping Farouk back. Uh, Jack Doan, Tim white at ringside. And Dave is like, you got tape on your ribs, Ron. You got to be careful (laughs) because we only got so much tape. Talk to me a little bit about those different referees that you sort of ran through. We're seeing a promo here from the prior week with Mick Foley, and he's gone through several different character incarnations over the last year. We got to see him as mankind, dude, love cactus, Jack, the whole deal. And, um, now he's saying it's going to be a long time before you see cactus Jack in the ring again. And that was our rewind. No more cactus cactus is dead. Let's talk about those referees for a minute. Jimmy Corderas is very active on uh, wrestling social media. Uh, of course, he's got a book out there that I can recommend. You got any good Corderas stories you can share with us? No, he's Canadian. He was boring. Jack Doan. Nice guy. Uh, you know, Jack, Jack was a member of the ring crew, and a lot of those guys, that's where they started out. And, of course, Tim White from the Friendly Tap in Providence, Rhode Island, I uh, remodeled his friendly tap bar probably about uh, two dozen times with the APA, but you know, shit happens. My God, this is hardcore country. And he's, and I'm going to say hardcore as many times as I can. I feel like I should, um, tell everybody what the fuck Bruce is talking about in case you're not watching. Terry Funk is on screen. He's what come down and cutting a promo to this Philadelphia crowd, which knows him and loves him. From his NWA days, of course, from his ECW get ECW days. And he's talking about how he needs a partner because now cactus Jack has waddled his fat ass up the ramp and he's done. So he needs somebody to be his partner because he's not quitting. He's not a quitter, which is pretty funny. And, uh, now he's going to put some funk in your faces and he wants to put a funk in everyone's face because his new partner is a funk. And I think a lot of people were sort of curious as to who this might be, but it turns out that it's flash funk, AKA two cold Scorpio. Is this a Russo ism here? This was a Russo ism. It was ah flash funk. Nobody cares. So broad matters to cold Scorpio. Jr. was high on Scorpio as Scorpio as well. And, you know, get away from the entertainment side of things and let Scorpio be Scorpio. Unfortunately, I think that it had kind of passed by at this point. Raise the roof. That's right. He's a funk and his mother's a whore. Oh boy. Here we go. So of all the things you thought you would see here, you probably didn't imagine you would see another fucking Quebecers match, but here we are, uh, two cold Scorpio on the outside. Meanwhile, Terry Funk getting double teamed by the Quebecers. 
Chat us up, Bruce. What the fuck are the Quebecers doing here? Well, the Quebecers are having an extremely bad match and uh, the in the absolute worst, most unflattering outfits ever made in the history of Outfits Are Us. You know what's amazing, too, is at this point, you got to think that Carl's been around for years, right? Because we remember covering him back on our 1994 Royal Rumble. So you think at this point, oh, man, he's got to be old. He's 30. Well, he felt old. It's just amazing. And now Scorpio doing what he does best, and that's flying and throw some badass drop kicks. But Scorpio oof. is one of those guys who have always felt like uh, had a much better run in WCW than he did in the WWF. Why do you think that was? Was it the Flash Funk gimmick? Was it Vince didn't get it? Was it that he couldn't cut a promo? What do you think it was? Well, I think that it was tough for him to cut a promo. He never really connected with the audience. And it was he was great in the ring. He was, he was tremendous in the ring, but you didn't get that personality outside of the ring. And you really need that second part to make it beyond. Okay. Hey, he has a great match. Hypothetically, if he would have been a part of a tag team, don't you think he would have had a better run in the WWF? Like if he had somebody else who could do the talking and he could still be almost the Ricky Morton of the bunch, that's a weird analogy to make, but he could go in there and really you know, do a lot of the heavy lifting and then make the hot tag for somebody else who was a good promo. Frankly, I think he would have made a hell of a heel with a mouthpiece. There you go. You know, and there was the bombs away of the Quebecers with Pierre off the top rope. And that that's a load coming down on you. No doubt. And look at that. A fucking four fifty at that weight. Big deal. That's a big deal, man. And the funks get a win. The unlikely duo Ebony and ivory too cold and Terry funk here couple of ECW legends. And I guess we should mention Carlette is actually still working the independence these days. And you can see him in a town near you. If you live in Canada and, um, maybe we'll see Jocker Joe's boy in the, in the company sometime. Allegedly there's some politics there, but he's a hoss and a half, man. Uh, Jocker Joe's kid is huge. Uh, still very green, but man, in a few years, he could be a major contender. Lots of ECW chance in that match. Uh, pretty fun popcorn match, as it were. We see a replay here. One of the better 450s in the business, and he's not a little dude. No, I, I kept trying to show him how to do that all day long. And, you know, I, I like to throw in an extra uh, 132 in there, but uh, he just wanted to do the 450. And you see the graphic here on screen letting you know that that's the end of hour one. So we're going to be coming into hour two here. And, um, one of the things I really appreciated that was so well done in this is you guys sort of front loaded the commercials to get as many of those out of the way as you could. And you do a really phenomenal tease where Jr. sort of gives you a heads up before they leave. And that's not something that was really commonplace, but you guys started to do it a lot here. And he would say things like, um, folks, don't, don't you dare go anywhere. We've got more coming at you. Yeah, so and so's coming up next in just thirty seconds. We'll be back in thirty seconds. I thought it was really cool that you found a way to let the audience know don't change the fucking channel. Well, we had started, you know, really started studying the trends and started studying 
what, you know, what was working and what wasn't working. The longer segments were working. And if you could hook the audience, particularly over the quarter hours at, you know, uh, 10 o'clock, 10, 15, 10, 30, 10, 45. If you had them at the quarter hours, you would, you would have them because if you watch most shows, most shows program, you know, every 15 minutes and a lot of commercials take place at the same time. We were live and didn't want to do that. And now I want Sable out here. I'll kill her. Uh, so I love Luna Vachon. So Luna Vachon is calling out Sable and, and she's doing it by saying that the anticipation for her match at Unforgiven is worse than PMS and the flow is incredible. The flow of her adrenaline. And we're coming back to another raw opening here, but we know what we're going to see on the other side. And you're teasing Sable because Sable was a big ratings draw at the time, right, Bruce? Hell yeah. And you'd have two female grapplers going at it at the top of the quarter hour. That was money and people weren't going to go anywhere. Uh, now it's raw is war. This is the new show coming up. So you got a lunatic in Luna in the ring already with the promise of Sable to come out and anybody that's going to be flipping channels right now, if you come up on this open and then when we come out of this, you see what we have standing in the ring, who the hell's going to go anywhere? Technically we're starting war zone here and Sable's music is going to hit and the crowd goes nuts. Tons of signs, everybody's standing up, but instead of Sable, it's our man Goldust dressed up in drag with a big ridiculous wig on. Uh, and we're just 13 days prior to these guys facing off in an evening gown match. And that's the reason we see Goldust in the heels and the evening gown match. Hypothetically, where the fuck did you guys get size 17 high heels? It's size 17 high heels are us shoe store. Unbelievable. Was that Pat Patterson's wig? Where did that come from? Uh, that, that may have been. I, you know, that, that looks like the one that Pat will later wear, uh, to face Jerry Briscoe in a hardcore match. And now <laughs> this was kind of classic stuff. This was some of the risque things that we were doing where you've got gold dust doing commentary going, ow, Luna, you're hurting me Ow, too rough Luna. And then he decides instead of having Luna rip the dress off, he'll just help her take it off. Yeah. Don't know what to say here is JR. Huh? Gold dust. That that's gold dust. That's not that 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 that's not even sable. There's sable. That's sable right there coming down. Woo. Hold time. Yeah, and this is, you know, here's the beautiful thing. Sable wasn't trained. Her shit looked real because it was. Yeah, I was going to say, well, she <laughs> threw her right there and stayed with it. That looked like something that happened in a yard somewhere. That was legit. That's on world star. You know, and you, and you had to do that because, and there's, you know, she ripped out Luna's weave there and half of it's on the floor, but it, people got into it, man, because they didn't really like each other. Right. And you saw it on screen. And when they went at it, Sable didn't know what the hell she was doing. So she did her best to make it believable. And it sure as hell was, man. I feel sorry for gold dust having to try and carry Luke, carry Luna away there. It's uh, it's an interesting time for the company here. There's so much going on and we're going to another commercial break. And I know what you're thinking, but it's going to be worth it. We come back from a break and who's on the screen stone cold, Steve Austin, this entire show 
was, was really well written in terms of let's make sure they don't change the channel. We're going to tease Sable. We're going to come back to Sable. We're going to leave, but we're going to tease. We'll be right back. We're going to come back and it's Steve Austin. And we're going to give you something you never in a million years thought you would ever see. Of course, that the first was the hour, hook. That was the theme. The first hour we saw Michael Cole teaming with Jr. Now we've got Jerry Lawler teaming with Jr. And I think this is the duo that most of us remember so fondly from that era, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross. And coming out next, we've got Ken Shamrock strutting ass to the ring with Steve Blackman. Is this the most legit couple of badasses in the history of tag teams in the WWF? Well, yes. And when they get in the ring and you look at all of the guys in the ring, this is, you've never seen a ring full of legit, just scary, crazy, tough guys as the five guys in the ring, Ken Shamrock, Steve Blackman, Dan Severn, Bob Holly, and Bart Gunn, Dan, five legit tough guys. And then there's Cornette. Dan Severn is here to sell us a term life policy based on the way he's dressed, uh, or maybe a reverse mortgage. Hmm. Well, still a double tough son of a bitch. Not the most charismatic guy in the whole wide world, but, uh, I commented on his dress. I didn't say he wasn't a bad yeah. guy. Uh, yeah, Bob Holly pro- probably has an ideal. He does have an ideal. He just figured that he beat everybody in the ring and we give him the belt. He just took off his NWA tag team belt and Dan Severn is going to be excused from ringside by referee Jack Doan. And, um, they sort of teased that Shamrock and Severn had faced off twice in the octagon and they were tied at one apiece and they're teasing a future confrontation here. Why don't you think Severn Shamrock did bigger business for you guys? Well, they didn't do any business for us. And you take two shooters from the MMA world and try and put them in a worked environment. I don't think our audience wanted to see it. And the MMA audience didn't want to see him in that environment. We should remind you that the essential, essentially what we're doing here is a bit of an NWA WWF deal because at the time Severn is the NWA world champion and we've got. Uh, well, I'll let you explain who the Midnight Express are. Go ahead and introduce them well, for me, Corny. The, the new Midnight Express, which is uh, Bombastic Bob and Bodacious Bart. Bart Gunn and Bob Holly, well, Along hey, with their manager of the Midnight Express, James E. Cornette. Every now and again, when I would say, tell us who they are, and you were talking about someone from the NWA that Cornette managed, we'd get a little high-pitched action here. But we're not doing that today, I guess. No, because goddamn bombastic Bob in the fucking ring. Okay, you want to know? Here's here's inside information. When Jim Cornette was looking to do the uh, kind of a reuniting when Stan Lane was getting out of the Midnight Express, right? one of the guys he considered was Bob Holly, a young Bob Holly. That's how we got Bob Holly. I didn't realize. There you go. You didn't? Goddamn, Bob Holly, good-looking son of a bitch. Let's talk about how much business is up here. Business is up. 60% at the gate in the first quarter of 98 compared to the first quarter of 1997. And, um, it's been sort of interesting to see the way the revenues have risen for pay-per-view as well, because in your house went from 1995 for two hours to 2995 for three hours. And WrestleMania went from 2995 to 3495. So even if they do the same numbers, the money is going to be way, way up. How much? Well, they're estimating at this point that the buy rates for WrestleMania 14, we're going to be between 715 to 720,000 
for a buy rate of 2.3 or an incredible 10.8 million as a gross from just the pay-per-view. You guys have to be tickled with that pay-per-view number, right? That's not a bad day's work. And we were tickled at at all of our numbers right now. Pay-per-view for that WrestleMania, tremendous numbers. And it was something that we were hoping for, you know, they would actually come through. So business up everywhere, merchandise up. So it was a good time to be in the business. Exciting. April of 97, you guys were doing about 5,400 fans. Now you're doing 7,900. Your average gate in April of 97 was about 86,000. Now it's about 149,000. You're selling out only about 25% of your shows in April of 97. You're selling out 45% of your shows in uh, April of 98. TV ratings are way up too, going from a 1.7 now to a 2.7. So lots of good news for the WWF. So you sort of mentioned a minute ago that this wasn't like this huge celebration when you finally win the ratings war. I mean, is there even any time to sit and talk about that? You snapped the 83 week streak or is it not even something that's brought up? It, it, I mean, it's brought up. Okay, great. We did good last night, but you had another day at work. The, The very next day we're shooting the next week's raw. Right. So there was, there wasn't any time to celebrate. You just had to move forward and keep going. Don't rest on your laurels because you know, you never know what's around the corner. Keep going. You guys were very much competing for talent as well. Um, and this match comes to a close here with the new midnight express taking a hike with Jim Cornette. Uh, you, you were saying earlier about Jack Doan, any sort of Jack Doan memories you can share with us besides that he was on the ring crew. No, Jack was a good referee and Jack, I, I think Jack is still there. Is he not is Jack? Not even there anymore. I don't even know, but he, he was a good referee. Jack was a good guy and a good kid and busted his ass. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that, uh, he retired in 2013 and he's still a relatively young guy. It feels like we saw him forever and ever, uh, but he's only 45 years old now. So God, you know. still a kid. Absolutely. That's right. Jerry. God damn it. I look good. <laughs> so you're teasing you got- unforgiven here and unforgiven is a pay-per-view that I can't wait for us to cover sometime. Maybe we will at some point in the future. We're not going to this month. Uh, I don't believe, but we should mention that the, uh, match on top is going to be dude, love and stone cold, Steve Austin. There's going to be other cool stuff like LOD 2000 and the new age outlaws. We already talked about that evening gown match. We're going to have uh, a tag match on this show for the NWA tag team titles, which is going to be the new midnight express versus the rock and roll express. Who the fuck would have thought they would have seen that. Uh, and triple H is going to take on Owen Hart for the European title. But maybe the, the match that everybody remembers the most is the undertaker and Kane in a fucking inferno match who first pitches this God, I don't remember if it was Russo or Cornette, but I I remember hearing it and it's like, okay, great. And it was booked, but nobody thought about how to do it. Thought I will put fire around the ring. We'll do all of these different things around the ring, but Besides that, it was, you know, what next? And it was booked and then it was, then let's figure out how the hell to do it. And that was a scary proposition that had a lot of us pretty nervous because all that fire and all that shit, um, it's not easy and it's dangerous as shit. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, the angle that we're seeing built here, because we've got the undertaker 
coming to the ring and on the inside of the ring are the headbangers and the undertaker is intent on getting Kane in front of him. And he wants him now, not 13 days from now in Greensboro at unforgiven. And they've already started to talk about the first ever inferno match, but you're not really releasing any details at this point, 13 days out. Did you have all of that mapped out or are you still very much trying to put it all together? We had an idea of what we wanted to do, but we still had to put it all together together because apparatuses hadn't been built yet. So they were in the process of being built and we were just figuring we would get to the show uh, the night before and we would try it out and see exactly how the hell we're going to make it work. So you promised a match where you weren't really sure how you could even deliver the stipulation until the night before. We promised matches that we weren't sure how we were going to deliver hours before. Okay. So yes, would have been fine. So the, yeah. the lights go out here and everybody's ready for Kane and there's a big tease for Kane. And of course we've seen Kane before. I mean, it's not like we've never seen him before. Um, and here he is and he's with Paul bear. Paul bear at this time was, uh, not the Paul bear that we sort of grew up on. His hair looks a lot different. He's not wearing the same makeup he used to He's put on a little weight. Um, what, what can you tell us about this era, Paul bear, when he wasn't necessarily working with the undertaker, he was working against the undertaker. This is one of my favorite incarnations of Paul bear, because we got to see more Percy Pringle come out in the storytelling and we got to hear about, you know, undertaker and your mama and your daddy. And you know, when your daddy was off and he was doing things, you know what I was doing to your mama, you just got so much more entertainment out of Paul that you couldn't get when he was with the undertaker. He was on a roll. He was feeling it and it was different than you had seen. And all these characters now are evolving and becoming new all over again. And so he's saying, if you want to take on your own flesh and blood cane, you're going to do it on my terms. And they're teasing, of course, the big match and unforgiven, but they're also saying, that in order to get there, you're going to have to take on Kane the next week. <coughs> Kane Undertaker, still probably your favorite feud in the history of wrestling. One of them, yes. You know, Austin McMahon's probably my favorite, but yes, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. So and Percy just going to oh my god, Percy going to town. I loved it when he would get on a roll. Well, and and he's saying that you know we're not going to let you just have a regular match. You're going to fight him in a fucking cemetery. This has Vince Russo's fingerprints all over it, but the crowd popped for the cemetery announcement. I mean, when you're making promises like this at this point, have you already scouted a cemetery location? Or are you just thinking you're going to go do something guerrilla style or what's the plan? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of difficult to go do a match and do everything we want to do guerrilla style, especially in a cemetery late at night, but the there was confidence that we could get it done so a lot of times that was okay let's book it announcement announce it bruce figure it out okay so that's what you did you figured it out found a place to do it we're uh, we're building this feud and uh, it is one of the better stories it, it is a little convoluted at times but 
it's something you can really sink your teeth into if you're an undertaker fan. And we see a backstage shot here, which was relatively new for the company, at least at this point. And, uh, we're seeing Austin walk towards the ringside area and the cameraman sort of walking backwards here. Would that have been Bubba Dean or who would have been the cameraman for a shot like this? It was, you know, actually at this time, this was before, you know, Bubba Dean and those guys, this would have been one of the cameramen that we would have pulled from ringside to go back and shoot that. Going to commercial and we're right back. And now instead of it being Vince, nope, it's Val. And, and Val has a scantily clad lady walking behind him where we sort of pixelate that out. And this is one of those infamous Val Venus promos where he's talking about shooting for his next film, uh, lust in space. And he's going to talk about the rocket in his pocket. And, uh, he's going to have a couple of ladies here. Where was this shot? We've talked a lot about Val Venus on this show before and some, and some pay-per-view episodes, but this is definitely a pre-tape because you had to pixelate. So was this shot earlier in the day, weeks prior? Now this was shot earlier in the day in the Philadelphia building, uh, in one of the dressing rooms in the back. And we got some beautiful young ladies from one of the gentlemen's establishments there in Philadelphia. They were well, we got ladies anyway. They're all oh, listen to you. Uh, it's Philly. What do you pay? Um, what's, what's, what's the lady stipend here? Uh, probably about 200 bucks each. It's amazing to me that, uh, they're willing to get butt naked with shoes for $200 on national TV. Well, you know, they're, they're on rods about Venus. It's a, you know, Um, one of them things I, you know, in Philadelphia is where I don't know if I ever told the story about the girl that didn't want to be on TV in the shower show. Yeah. Yeah. Cause her mom, she didn't want her mom to know that she did the shower show, which is pretty fun. Yeah, it's okay that she's in the all-nude club peep show, but not just doing the shower show. Val Venus going to explode in the World Wrestling Federation. Inch by inch, he says. He's going to give it his all. (laughs) He's Uh, coming. Is this, I mean, obviously this is something Russo wrote, but this is the type of humor that Vince McMahon fucking eats up, is it not? (laughs) I love it. He's coming. Get it? coming <laughs> god damn good shit if only one of the girls could fart and of course degeneration x here is out and uh, they're getting the full video treatment it was one of the things that really set them apart to me is the way they would splice in their entrance and then the entrance video pretty great stuff is that a sahadi call or who do you think had an influence there no that that was a kevin dunn and production call for them coming out with the way that the music video was laid for their entrance and just being able to cut back live and it just fit perfectly. And it kept you, it kept you there. Instead of just going to a video wall, you're still coming back and you're seeing what's going on live in the arena. Owen Hart out here talking smack, trying to challenge one of the members of DX. And, um, we're going to see a promo here that talks about, well, degenerate style humor from Hunter pretty, um, weird to see China on screen here again, I guess just because it's been so long since we saw her and she's standing right by Waltman at the time. She's not with Waltman though. She's with Hunter. Was there ever any discussion amongst the boys or the office about the idea that China was with both Hunter and Waltman 
feels like something a lot of the boys would have had fun with. Mm. I, <laughs> they they weren't together at this time, and I don't think they got together until they both had left the company. So uh, I'm sure guys talked about it, but I never really discussed it, didn't really care. Um, at different times, the promos that are done here on the show, I don't know, some are hit, some are miss. Overall, would you say that the vignettes that we saw for Val Venus were well done? I mean, do you think those sort of stand up or are those fairly ridiculous? You know what? I think they were well done. I think that the subject matter, a little risque and probably wouldn't work today. I think that, you know, the promo that DX is doing right now was kind of, it was funny at the time and it, and it was inside humor talking about road dog, writing his essay on these little tiny papers. And they were really thin and had like little sticky stuff up at the top and zigzag written across them. It's funny. It's cute. It was, as JR said, sophomoric. Um, but it was different and people were talking about it and people in the business were talking about it and people outside of the business were talking about it. The audience was thinking, Oh my God, he, he shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have said that. So it was new and it was, it was different and it was getting a lot of people's attention. Sort of interesting here that, um, you're not really sure who's a baby face and who's a heel. Owen Hart, historically always a heel, I guess is technically a baby face here, but DX is still getting a good crowd reaction and out from the top of the ramp comes LOD 2000. Who's freshly been repackaged at WrestleMania 14 with a different look for the shoulder pads and now helmets. And, uh, they're going to be strutting to the ring with, uh, some forearm pads and a very scantily clad Sonny. I'm sure we'll talk about this another time. But whose idea was to sort of repackage the helmets, the forearms, the haircut, the face paint? I mean, everything about LOD is different here. That guy right there. Vince McMahon doing a little workout action. Um, and on commentary, when we come back from commercial, are X-Pac and Hunter. And I thought they did a good job at getting their characters over here. Hunter's doing everything he can to get his character over here. If you haven't heard this commentary in a while, you should go listen to this because... He's got lots of little nuggets in there, throwing shade every which way. And Jr. is getting angrier and angrier throughout the commentary and frustrated from a talent perspective and, and also just frustrated overall because it's, you know, Hunter is being a smart ass and doing a lot of inside stuff. And Jr. is like, huh, yeah, it's sophomore. But then when uh, Hunter and X-Pac leave, JR, sophomoric, yeah, yeah, go to your high school prom and go pick on your buddies out out in the parking lot. It's just, it, he makes his comebacks after they're gone, but I thought that listening to it brought back memories of listening to it live and thinking, Jesus Christ, what are they doing out there? Um, I wasn't crazy about it back in the day, and, and listening to it again, when you place yourself back in that time, it it was a little frustrating and kind of hard to, hard to take, but you know what? It got people talking. It's sort of fun here to, you know, we talk about this all the time, but just time is such a weird thing. And, you know, they talked about Farouk earlier when, you know, he was out there with the rock and they're referring to him as old man. And of course you're also seeing here Hunter talk about LOD saying, you know, their age is on their pants, 2000. 
just right. mocking how old they are. But at the same time, and this is something, you know, that maybe gets sort of overlooked. Animals 37 here. Farouk is 38. By the way, AJ Styles turns 41 this year. So it's just the idea that they're talking about these guys like they're out to pasture and they're younger <laughs> than the world champion today by a few years. It's, it's just fascinating to me. Time is such a funny thing. It, it really and truly is. And at the time, you know, I don't, uh, DX was a relatively young group, but still, as you, when you compare apples to apples and look at what's considered young now, age is just a number, but we never, ever back in the day, you don't call the baby face says an old, a bald old Indian, because when that bold old, bald old Indian whips your ass, you just got your ass hit, whooped by a bald old Indian. It's that was just, in reference to Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, Hunter is 28 here and uh, animal is nine years older than him. So <laughs> it's just amazing. Crazy. Man. It is. Uh, this match is, um, something where Owen challenged anybody in DX and, and Hunter said that he required all the members to write a 500 word essay of, of why they felt like they belonged in this match with Owen Hart. And he, he talked about, um, and we see a little exposed there, Mr. Ass. He talked about how X-Pac had submitted something that looks like from an adult magazine. And, but he said that, uh, <laughs> Billy Gunn doing his best flare flop here that Billy Gunn submitted something that had drawings depicting Owen Hart with a barnyard animal. This is about as attitude as it gets. And on commentary at this point, as he almost steps right in front of LOD, Hunter starts referring to Sonny as skanky. And he says, she's doing what she does best. She's holding a little head in her hands, holding the helmets, something like that. Woo. Risque. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was off the chart. And like I said, it was uncharted waters that we were going in and, and Vince allowing it and just saying, damn it, you know, let's get out there. You know, nothing's off limits. We've seen a promo a few minutes ago in the back where Kevin Kelly was interviewing Vince McMahon and he was asking if he was scared to take on Austin and Vince sort of had some surprising comments. He says, I wasn't scared of the United States government. I was, I'm damn sure not scared of Tom Warner and Ted Turner. I'm not scared of the big bad wolf and I'm not scared of stone cold, Steve Austin. That's a line that he was dying to get out there. Was it not? Yeah, but that was, you know, at that time, that was, that was line. And that was something that he talked about a lot was defeating the government and in a fight and he's in a war. And the more he could tell people he was in a war with a billionaire, the better. So he was out there fighting and throwing everything against the wall. When the rating comes in the next day, I know that the office and, and Vince McMahon and the machine just sort of keeps on rolling. Do you remember any of the boys being sort of overjoyed one way or another? I mean, did, did rock or Austin or undertaker, did anybody feel particularly proud of this? It feels like it's a big moment, a watershed moment for the company. Well, you know, it's funny because yes, everybody was happy. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like we weren't happy about it. There is a realization too, that we promoted a match all night long with the owner of the company, a non-wrestler, somebody has never been in the ring before 
and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, you know, we didn't give them the match, but it was something they'd never seen or thought they'd ever see before. And it was Vince McMahon, an unproven commodity in that role that won the ratings. And that story is what really drove that audience all night. Let's talk a little bit about Steve Regal. Um, he signed officially just a handful of days prior to this on April 9th, and he couldn't technically start until he was legally able to do so. And his WCW contract expires about 11 days after this. Um, Georgia was a right to work state as was written about a lot at the time. And you guys were planning to sort of legally challenge his non-compete. But before you do so, you had ordered him according to the rumor and innuendo to drop weight in order to get ready for television. Was his signing a favor to Steve Austin, who was a fan of his, how does the, the Steve Regal deal come together? Well, Regal was, was looking for work and I was a big fan of Regal from the day that he stepped foot from his debut. If you go back and watch WCW, I was a big fan of Steve Regal's. Um, I thought it was the AWA Steve Regal when they first announced him. And then you see this new young guy he was a great worker and he was different. Um, uh, but Steve Regal was somebody that had reached out to, uh, myself and he had reached out to Jim Ross brought him in and it was, we we're just looking to do something with him. The fact that he was friends with Hunter, he was friends with Steve, a lot of those WCW guys from way back when, but, uh, it was more me and Jr. than anything. And here we see, um, Vince McMahon strutting out and on commentary. Oh God, look at him. He's ripped. God, he looks huge. Hypothetically, if Johnny Ace was there, what would this sound like? Oh, Vince, you're a little dry. Can I get, can I get the area in between your pectorials right now? Uh, you don't want to go out there looking dry. Allow me to spritz you down, sir. If I can, good God, your arms are enormous. Phenomenal. Pat, get out of my way. Really great shot here. We're following Patterson, Briscoe and Slaughter to the ring. And will they even pass Owen Hart and Jr. announces we're not taking commercial breaks. Hang on folks. And, uh, they're teasing of course that if Austin loses McMahon is the world champion, but it's probably going to be a disaster and it's going to be a critical situation for Vince McMahon and JR is really pouring it on that this is, this is going to be a catastrophe for Vince McMahon. And there's our announcer sort of firing us up here. I'm a fan of Chimmel, but I gotta say this would have been cool. Fink would it not. <laughs> It would have been cool with Fink, absolutely. Tony Chimmel has a face for radio and a voice for uh, the quiet zone. But uh, I love Pat taking off his tie on the way down. Uh, let me get the tie off. I pay the cases, said Chase. I'm going to load up the toner in the copy machine. So uh, Vince McMahon strutting down. He's announced as being from Greenwich, Connecticut, 241 pounds. Uh, Vince looks good here. Not nearly what we would see. Uh, I guess a year later, I mean, he's going to be even another level, but Vince has always kept himself in phenomenal shape behind the scenes. Did Vince ever sort of freestyle with his buds when you guys were around about, Oh, I could take him with any, with anybody. <laughs> I think Vince thinks he can take everybody. 
In a shoot, Vince can beat everybody. I think that in Vince's head, he can beat anybody there is uh, without question. He, and at least he's going to fight. And, of course, we see Shane here trying to talk his dad. And, and I love – because it feels real. I love – you know, Shane stopping and going off on Pat and Jerry, like you don't understand and, and just come on, dad. It was, it added a realistic element to the thing that made the story believable. Let's talk about him for just a minute here. Let's put a bow on this, uh, Steve Regal conversation. Man's man. What the fuck? Well, Vince. When uh, Regal came in, he was heavy, and Russo didn't know what the hell to do with him. I think that when Regal went away and he was supposed to lose weight, and he didn't lose weight, and he came in and kept getting heavy, that Vince felt that, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do this man's man gimmick, which because he was British and he looked effeminate in Vince's eyes, by God, he'll be a man's man. And it was over the top, and... Not one of the best gimmicks in the world. Stone Cold Steve Austin coming to the ring here. Got the belt over his shoulder, the iconic vest. Uh, at this point, only sporting one knee brace. This is before the other wheel goes out on him. And man, when he would come out and hit all four corners, it was just flash bulb city in this era, was it not? Well, in addition to that, you know, the thing that I always loved about Steve is it's little, it's little things. His head was always on a swivel. He was always, you know, looking back at his opponent at some point, he would give them their back, but let him know, Hey, I'm here. And that was just the little nuances that all that made Austin that top guy. And you see the little bump there with Vince. It was those little details that made the difference and made him stand out above everybody else. And Vince, you know, now the whole idea is to build up and build up and get the anticipation for this match. And it's to, so genius that you guys have not gone to commercial. You've announced you're not going to commercial and you're right. going to stay with it. The referee's holding up the belt. We're getting right to it. You know, you would think a lot of times one guy would come out, they do a commercial and then the other comes not here. And Vince is even going to, sort of hold the belt up around his waist to tease what it might look like. And there is a comment pretty good. somewhere in here from Jr. where he says something like, uh, no, we don't like to have senior citizens as champions for us. And a lot of people probably heard that and thought it was about Vince McMahon, but it wasn't, it was about Hulk Hogan. Was it not? Yeah. It was about Hulk and Savage and all the guys over at WCW is definitely a shot. Kind of like this shot coming up here in a second. This is a classic moment here. Austin gets slapped by Vince McMahon and the crowd is on the edge of their seats. The commentary here, you've got to hear JR is selling this. Oh my God. Oh my God. You don't slap a rattlesnake. Uh, by God, by God, Vince is making a mistake here. You don't slap a rattlesnake. Stone Cold is going to make him pay for that. Somewhere in here, we see Jr. comment that Pat Patterson's probably out of chapstick from kissing Vince McMahon's ass. That feels like something I've heard before. Yeah, you steal all your stuff from Jr. Your good stuff, anyway. So here's the uh, reminder from earlier in the night when he said, "Now one thing, Steve, you said you could beat Vince McMahon with one hand tied behind your back, and you saw the clue earlier that 
Bruce sort of mentioned and pointed out to us in the opening promo. And now they're teasing that it's going to really happen. And Briscoe produces from his coat pocket a rope. Well, every, every good, uh, Oklahoma has a rope in his coat, ready to tie up one hand behind their back. Now, the funny thing about it is you think about it. You ever try to tie someone's hand behind their back? No, I'm a grown up. Okay. Well, Hank. Okay. And see, you notice here, Steve wanted to have his left hand tied up, but Vince points out, uh, uh-uh, pal, right hand. That's a stunner arm. <laughs> so he got tied up the stunner arm, but if you think about it, you know, tying, tying the hand behind the back, how do you do that? You know, when they're not wearing anything to tie it to, and we actually had to rehearse this backstage to figure out, okay, how are we going to tie it up? How are we going to tie him up and actually keep his arm behind his back? And that's how we kind of, there was actually thought put into this. (laughs) Was there a debate as to who was going to make the knot and what type of knot did Briscoe use? No, he used the Chocksaw, Chickasaw, Chickasaw, uh, triple quadruple reverse knot that he, that he learned at the Choctaw Chickasaw boys club of, uh, Oklahoma. So got to wrap it around twice. Of course, Steve is really playing to the crowd here. You know, if you want to see me whip Vince McMahon's ass with one hand tied behind my back, give me a hell yeah. Um, the crowd is on fire for all of this. And I could see why this won the ratings, man, because there's no way you're fucking flipping the channel right now. No, it was all about the anticipation and it's all about Vince McMahon finally getting his ass kicked. And then to the, to even to the, the smart fan, uh, they're like, okay, how the hell do they get out of this? Cause you can't beat Steve. He's your world champion. He's the guy that everything's built around right now. Um, and it's good story. I mean, Briscoe and Patterson and Slaughter play their parts to perfection. And Vince kind of, you know, playing that fish out of water here as well. But also the arrogant, just badass, you know, promoter that uh, likes to fuck with people. And you're playing on the reality from Survivor Series just a handful of months prior, where this same group of guys, you know, Slaughter was ringside when. Vince McMahon rang the bell and then Brett screwed Brett a couple of nights later, or I guess a week later. I mean, one after another, you had those little moments that sort of built to this. I mean, even a couple of months prior to that, Brett screwed Brett stuff. You had the stunner in Madison square garden. So this payoff has been building for a long time and seemingly you guys didn't even really have this plan. It just sort of fell in your lap, right? It's just one of those things. It did. It was a happy accident that just kept getting better (laughs) as we went on. You know, you go back to the first stunner with Steve. That was just Steve stunning an announcer who Vince was delivering a message from the World Wrestling Federation. But he still wasn't the owner yet. Not until after the Brett stuff did he come out. And that got such negative response that Vince would walk out and, and get booed. So... This was just, uh, again, a means to an end to, to get dude love into a match with Steve and we'll utilize Vince and, and get there. We never expected this to take off the way it did, but this right here is step number one for the next God. How, how many years, 10 years, 20 years. I mean, this authority thing, they're still doing it now. Yeah. So it, it was, 
this is the beginning right here, this night, this aha moment of holy shit. And Jerry Briscoe with more hair. I hope he hears that. Jerry listens to the show. I feel like we should uh, mention here that, of course, they're going to do a dark match after this for the live crowd. And um, that's sort of an interesting match, I guess. It's an eight-man tag. Austin, Undertaker, and LOD 2000 take on the New Age Outlaws, Hunter Hearst, Helmsley, and Kane. And they go less than two minutes when Austin pins Road Dog with the stunner. I guess you needed to send them home happy somewhat, considering you're not really going to deliver what they've been teased all night. Well, yes, we did. And, and I love the part here, which was something that we came up with, with Vince with the mouthpiece, which is actually his, his grinding mouthpiece that, that he slept with. And it was, Hey, let's, let's do a mouthpiece gimmick. And now here we are, we're in Philadelphia, the city of brother love. And now the entrance of dude love daddy. Ow. Do you think the crowd at this point is a little disappointed because at this point it does feel like we're going to see Vince McMahon actually wrestle. I think that there, yeah, there's a level of disappointment there, but it was also something that they didn't pay for. That was part of the television show. It was not advertised. It just was created that night. So you're, we're there to produce a television show and for the television show, that's our main priority. And that's where we're, where we're going. But I think that the crowd was still interested in it popping for all of this. You guys, um, don't actually deliver a match here with Austin and Vince until the following February at St. Valentine's day massacre. Chat me up. How long did Vince have to have to train for that match? I mean, it's not like you can just step in cold and do this. And St. Valentine's day massacre. No, he, he probably trained for a good two months at least uh, to get in the ring and have that first match. But you know, like I said, this, at this time, man, this is just a stunt. <laughs> this is a stunt, uh, to get us to the next pay-per-view. It's worth mentioning, I guess that Austin and dude love once it's officially announced, uh, does good business, but it was already doing good business beforehand. 16,400 tickets had been sold within a week of this. So they had a $280,000 gate before they ever even announced it. Uh, with comps and whatnot, they were expecting around 20,000 there and a huge gate. Greensboro was always historically more of an NWA territory. Why were you guys running a pay-per-view there here just to sort of test the waters or what, what Intel led you to Greensboro? It was, you know, it was a good market and we wanted to try it with a pay-per-view and it, and it did very well for us. And now Mick trying to do the mandible claw without, you know, the problem is here is he didn't have the, the right covering on the two fingers, but it worked okay with stone cold here. I guess we should, um, talk about the, uh, the mandible claw here. This is the first time we've seen dude love as a heel. And even Vince McMahon himself is sort of blown away by this dude. Love was supposed to be this fun babyface character, the alter ego of mankind. But now we see just a week after cactus Jack seemingly retires, dude, love is back and he's doing Vince McMahon's bidding. And this comes after Vince McMahon pushes him down. Well-written stuff here. 
And this isn't the last time we're going to see Mick Foley try to curry favor with the McMahon character. I think we all remember the bedpan hospital incident. Is this a, a Russo-ism to put Mick Foley as a heel here, or is this more of a Cornette deal? This was uh, basically this was taking the three faces of Foley and realizing that, okay, when you take one character, you can have these multiple personalities and do something completely different with another character. It was an experiment. I'll credit Russo and Cornette both for coming up with this and trying to you know recreate those three faces of Foley. And it was good because like you said, people wanted the fun loving dude love. And here, you know, he's showing signs of the, um, the mankind character more, but in a different outfit. It's sort of fun too, because while it looks like he's there to do McMahon's bidding, McMahon wants to get back in the ring and dude love is, is trying to swing and kick his direction. So it's almost like it's every man for himself, but the Stooges are convincing Vince to back off and ease back up the ramp and dude love gets back on the microphone and says, Hey, if you want some, come get some, I got plenty more where that came from. It almost feels right. like dude love as a heel here was just being opportunistic. Let me take advantage of the champion. The very moment I know he has one arm behind his back. Right. And you know, and is time goes on you find out it all was a big ruse with mcmahon and that they you know were working together but it's it's good it's believable shit the way that they did it and you look at you look at the fight with dude love and austin on the outside and that is you know part of the that whole stone cold steve austin character even with one arm behind his back getting his ass kicked he's still on the outside of the ring fighting A lot of people at the time were saying that, although this had a lot of people watching the crowd reaction here to this angle and this payoff was heat, but the wrong kind of heat. How would you respond to that? I completely disagree. It was exactly the kind of heat you wanted. You wanted people wanting more. You wanted people again. You have to think of the television audience and you want people when this show goes off the air that they can't wait to tune in next week to see what's going to happen next. And that's exactly what you want. And that was, that was the feeling. And we had a lot of people that were tuning in, seeing what the hell is going to happen. Episodic TV. We should talk briefly, I guess, about Vince McMahon as a wrestler. You know, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this on our St. Valentine's day massacre episode, but there's a famous story out there that Vince sort of always saw himself as a wrestler and he even hung out with a wrestler that his dad didn't approve of as an adolescent, as a teenager. And he wanted to be that guy. Tell everybody about who Vince sort of saw himself as, or really looked up to as a wrestler. Dr. Jerry Graham was Vince's idol growing up. And Dr. Jerry Graham worked for Vince's father, uh, Vincent Jess McMahon in Washington, D.C. in the old WWWF. So when Vince would spend the summers with his father, he would hang out with Dr. Jerry Graham, even going so far as to bleach his hair blonde and go riding around town in Dr. Jerry Graham's convertible Cadillac, smoking cigars, lighting him with $100 bills with his hair bleached blonde. So the extra attitude here 
uh, smarten everybody up about what extra attitude is because this didn't air on the original USA version of the show. No, this was something that you had to go to WWF.com and you would see what took place after Raw went off the air. And sometimes we would show the entire dark match. Sometimes we would just show something extra backstage. This extra attitude, you know, continued on and showed exactly what was going on in the arena after we went off the air. It was a way to get people to go to WWF.com. One after another, here they come. Uh, That Unforgiven 98. I'm sure we'll cover it sometime, but it is in Greensboro and it goes down at a time when Ric Flair is at odds with WCW. There was an idea floated around that didn't happen. What almost happened 13 days later at Unforgiven 98 in Greensboro? Well, we had talked about, but it never really was serious. Uh, We talked about the debut of Ric Flair and having Ric Flair join the WWF again. Um, as seemed to be commonplace with Rick, a lot of times was we would get to a certain point in negotiations talking about Rick coming in. And I think that he always felt more comfortable in the NWA at that time and, and, uh, stayed there. Talk to me a little bit about the rumor and innuendo that Rick Flair was maybe flirting with the idea of sitting front row at that pay-per-view and you guys were going to introduce that you had a world champion wrestler or a champion wrestler ringside tonight that you wanted to recognize and a camera would go over and an interviewer would go over. And instead of interviewing Ric Flair on WWF pay-per-view, they would interview Reed Flair who had just won a tournament in amateur wrestling. Yeah, we did talk about that. We did talk about doing it. And then the, the fear of legalities and, and people suing everybody going back and forth, we decided against it. But that was, yeah, that was definitely a thought, and that was something that was pitched. I feel like we should mention the next night you guys tape Raw. Um, of course, this one was done live, and it does a huge rating. You guys actually win the war, but you tape Raw the next week, and you do it in Nassau Coliseum. You have 10,737 fans paying over two hundred and forty-five grand at the gate. And it opens with a segment called love shack with dude love and McMahon is yelling at him for infer- interfering in this match and finds him five grand. Whose idea was the, was the dude love interview segment, the love shack. I believe, <laughs> I believe that was Russo's. And if I were a betting man, I would bet that the $5,000 came from corny. Who's going to believe any more than that? $5,000 is a lot of fucking money. Motherfucker. Austin did an interview on that raw challenges McMahon again. And the last match on the show was dude love beating Blackman and McMahon was announcing at that point. And Austin came out and attacked him as the show ended with McMahon challenging Austin to another match. And somewhere in the show, of course, they do the confrontation in the graveyard that we talked about where Kane would set fire to caskets of their father and mother. That's real life. Meanwhile, on nitro Hogan would beat Savage for the world title. And, uh, they're doing this one night off of a pay-per-view that they were doing. Kevin Nash runs in to try to clean house. Bret Hart's doing a run in a pretty hot ending for nitro and nitro wins the rating war again on April 20th. So even though the WWF won here on April 13th, they lost on April 20th, the very next week. Is that a bit, uh, deflating or is it about what you expect since you know, you're going to be taped and they're going to be live. 
I don't know if it was what we expected. And again, it was another day at the office and business was good and houses were up. So we were moving forward. We saw the needle move and felt pretty damn confident that going forward, that overall, when all was said and done, that we would come out on top. And of course, Raw and Nitro are going to trade these ratings wins over the next several months. Um, of course, we know what they're going to do in July when they have Hulk Hogan beat Goldberg for the world title at the Georgia Dome. Uh, and the last time WCW wins in the ratings war is October 28th of 1998. And Raw would win again the following week and then never look back and never lose. So we're still a few months away from it being sort of expected that you guys are going to win week in week out. Uh, but this was the very first time in hindsight, Bruce, it's been 20 years ago today. How important would you say this episode of raw was to the history of raw? This was the turning point in, in just so many aspects from the attitude on a lot of the promos, the commentary with DX, the introduction of the Mr. McMahon character and the unpredictability, a lot of the crash TV that was seen just crashing to break. Um, this was pivotal. This was pivotal. And it was a big moment. And this is April, April 13th, man, 1998 will go down is really the raw that started the rest of the business in so many ways. Well, and we've got something special coming your way next week. We're going to be covering all things Rob Van Dam from when Bruce was with the company. So if you've got a question, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. It's at Pritchard show on Twitter or on Facebook. You already know that one facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. And I know, you know, by now that the 1992 Royal rumble won the bonus poll. We are going to be bringing that to you later this month. We don't have a release date just yet. But I will tell you this, it's going to be coming sooner than you think. So keep checking youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. You never know when another poll or some more bonus content might pop up, but Bruce, we encouraged everybody to write in and ask questions about today's episode. And I'd like to uh, rapid fire you. Some of these, are you ready? I'm ready. James wants to know how would Vince McMahon describe Sonny's outfit? Tan titties. Mm. That was a, that was a legit outfit. Uh, Bill wants to know where did McMahon get those black Zubaz pants and tank top combo? Um, well, if you read them, those are from the old WBF. Uh, Dalton wants to know how would Vince McMahon sing dude loves theme song? Dude love. I don't know any more words like that. Uh, Bobby Ewing wants to know, did Vince McMahon and the WWF expect that they would win the ratings this night? I don't think anybody expected that we would win the ratings. We, we tried every week, you know, to, to win the ratings. So it wasn't like, this is it. This is the one. Now, after the fact, it's like, holy shit, we got something there. Uh, Matt Squires wants to know, did Vince hit stretch bands or do push-ups before he went out? What was his typical pre-entrance routine? All the above the real short push-ups with his arms in tight and the, uh, the little surgical tubes. Uh, Dale wants to know what were the long-term plans for LOD 2000? It seems most of what they were initially using went away fairly quickly. 
you know, the problem there was, unfortunately, Animal was limited with what he could do in the ring. So trying to hide all of that and continue with them was a struggle, and it just was a losing battle. Ricky Morton's mullet wants to know, where did you all get the rope to tie Austin's hand? Ropes are us. Scotty wants to know, how often did the signs that people brought to the arenas actually inspire T-shirts? At one point in the show... They cut to a fan holding up a class of 316 SCU sign. And I swear I've seen a kid wearing a shirt like that in the fourth grade. JR was genuinely upset by it all. And it was, he was given that a lot of it to, he was told, go on out there and have fun with it. Nothing's off limits. So he was given the go ahead beforehand. Joe wants to know why did dude love go away? Well, he didn't go away. Dude Love still remained and came back from time to time. And I think he's one of the best characters of the three faces of Foley. Uh, Michael Sinopoli wants to know who oiled up Vince McMahon before his match. And why was it Bruce? No, Bruce didn't get to not. Nobody oiled him up. That was very disappointing when I was watching this because I was fully, <laughs> I, I was, I was fully ready to do a whole oiled up commentary on it. And he didn't. He wasn't all oiled up beforehand. Now, subsequent to that, he looked at himself. God damn it. I'm so dry. Andy wants to know, was dude love related to brother love? Only in a lovely kind of way. Uh, Paul wants to know what was the feedback that Vince got from everyone afterwards? Oh God, boss. Sure. Sure. Did look good out there. You know, everybody was happy with it. It was, it was a build and it was a good television story so uh, you know everybody was positive about it it was good stuff joseph says did the booking philosophy change here it felt like booking went more week to week from this point on than it had been long term previously it did this was this was during time that russo and Cornette were the main creative force with vince mcmahon so the the whole philosophy had changed quite a bit and a lot of it was week to week Tommy wants to know, was dude love always the plan for Austin's first title defense after WrestleMania 14? Wouldn't a, it, a heel cactus Jack have seen more of a serious threat to Austin's gold than a goofy dude love? Well, I think a lot of people would argue with that. I think dude love as a heel was some pretty good stuff and it was very entertaining. So yes, Mick Foley was the one that was chosen to go with Austin felt that he would give him the best matches and the dude love character was the best story. Patrick has a question for us about Sergeant Slaughter. He wants to know whose idea was it for Slaughter to be so involved at this time? It seemed sort of out of place. Well, Sarge had been the commissioner, you know, the on-air commissioner at that time. So just kind of kept him in that storyline a little bit. And you had three stooges in Sarge, Pat, and Gerald. Another character. David wants to know, hey, Bruce, just by watching this episode of Raw, could you name me a couple of guys besides Austin that you would have bet your house on them becoming multi-time world champions? Whew. Um, Undertaker, duh. Well, yeah, Undertaker, there, there's the obvious ones, you know, Undertaker. But I don't know that I would have picked Kane at that time. I don't know that I would have picked Mick Foley at that time and certainly wouldn't have picked even Hunter at that time. What about The Rock? Would you have picked The Rock at this point? I would have picked him as a champion, not, you know, multi-time. I think that rock was coming into his own. Right. 
there were, I mean, this was a young, this was a young up and coming crew. This was the start of a lot of guys careers. Christopher wants to know what's the deal with the new world title and intercontinental title having blue straps and an old block logo when everything else had the scratch logo. The old block, the old block logo was something that was the design had been sent in. And at that time, as you know, Conrad takes a long time to do belts. So the scratch logo had been developed after that. It had already been sent in and been done. John wants to know, did Vince skip leg day at the gym? And what might Vince sound like when he's trying to uh, motivate someone while spotting them? Oh my God. Well, first of all, let's, let's get this straight. Vince's favorite day at the gym, leg day. I love leg day. So Vince would never skip leg day. Just that's a, that's a fact. That's just dropping knowledge on you right there. Um, he wasn't going to wear shorts. That's what Vince, that what you saw in that match. That's exactly what Vince wears to the gym. So it was real. And that's what he wanted to portray was a real fight. Uh, this is an interesting question because I feel like it gives, um, the common narrative from wrestling fans at the time, Jason writes, if they're selling out buildings, why was WWE losing money? The ratings weren't beating nitro, but they were still very good. Wouldn't advertisers still pay top dollar, even though they were number two, I never understood why they were close to going under when they were selling out arenas. Well, we weren't close to going under at this point, and I don't know that we were ever close to going under. You know, we had tough times in business probably a year prior. Right. But at, th- at this time, you know, hey, we were still, we were doing damn good business. We weren't close to going under. So that was, that's a, a misnomer and a narrative that's just not true. I think a lot of that comes from the meeting, allegedly, that Vince had with Bret Hart in September at that Madison square garden show where he says, Hey, I can't afford the contract. And so now you look and you're like October, November, December, January, February, March, April, you're just seven months later and you're selling out houses everywhere. But the climate in wrestling is certainly from the WWF side of things has totally changed. You've had a huge WrestleMania. You've had Mike Tyson. You've, I mean, the, the momentum you have just seven months later is unlike anything you thought you could have predicted in September of 97. True. And it was, and it had the, the entire, the, the entire playing field had completely changed. And you also have to understand looking at that, it was Brett's contract was so out of whack with everything else in comparison to everything else. So there's a lot more to it. Aaron writes, how good was JR's commentary for the Austin McMahon match? I always loved the, I just bought a house line. (laughs) JR made you believe, you know why? Because JR believed, and that's that's what makes the difference. Is the I just bought a house line a nod to JJ Dillon? Or who wrote that? No, he had just bought a house. It was a shoot. Uh, and you know, you, you throw in real life stuff, man. That's what makes it work. That's good shit you can relate to. Robert wants to know was there a talent around this time thinking about jumping sides that we may not know about? We just talked about Ric Flair. Anybody else you can throw out there? Uh, coming our way. Yeah. Or even, you know, Steve Regal was, which we, we covered in here. Yep. Steve Regal was somebody that was coming over, but Waltman had you know, just got there a month prior. And that was a big one. And that was a good one. So 
the tide was shifting a little bit, but also at the same time, we didn't have a whole lot of room for a lot of guys. Right. Uh, Vince wants to know, was there anyone prior to Austin that Vince wanted to wrestle? I don't think Vince, Vince didn't want to wrestle anybody, <laughs> nor did he really want to wrestle Austin. It, it just was that perfect storm that worked and all, you know, all came together. Conrad from Huntsville wants to know what did it sound like when Vince Russo pitched Vince McMahon on this idea for a raw main event, bro, what if you wrestled Austin and we build the entire show, but we never give it to them. They'll love it. (laughs) And they did. So, so for everybody that gives me shit and says, I always bury Vince Russo. I credit Vince Russo for this show and he did a good job with it. Uh, Eric wants to know, were any other names considered besides Titan Tron for the video board? God damn. Look at it. It's a Tron and it's a Titan. It's Titan Tron. Vince wanted to name the big screen and that's what worked. He liked it because it sounded big. Well, big is what we're going to be doing next week. We've got the Rob Van Dam episode coming to you. And we've also got a poll that's up and live right now on Twitter. It's at Pritchard show. What do you want to hear on April 27th? We want to hear from you. Can't wait to see what you pick. It's going to be unforgiven themed. So cruise over right now and vote on Twitter. It's at Pritchard show. And I want to encourage you before you vote, actually look up the cards and make sure that you're picking the right one, because there is some silliness on there. And uh, I don't want any of it to slip through the cracks. And I don't want to miss you next week right here for Rob Van Dam. So ask your questions on Facebook or Twitter. And of course, keep your eyes peeled for that bonus show, boys and girls. It's youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, hey it's Conrad, and we are out of time. Bruce, anything else we need to cover here for you before we wrap it up? I think we're good. Remember, if you're looking to come see us at our live shows, head on over to BrucePritchard.com, hit live events, and see where we're coming to a town near you. Yeah, we're less than a month away from Baltimore. Baltimore, let me give you a heads up. It's going to be one of our best shows ever. Not only do we have a confirmed guest, but we're actually going to do a raw watch along with you after the show. Uh, This is going to be too good to be true. It's more Bruce and Conrad. Yeah, we're talking about ourselves in third person. We're a big deal than you ever thought possible. The best crab cakes in the world. That's right. Plus a whole lot of beer and a whole lot of liquor and a confirmed guest. You don't want to miss it. Come see us. Jimmy's Famous Seafood. BruceBritchard.com is where you can pick up your tickets. And in just a couple of months, Chicago, we're going to be in your backyard. You don't want to miss it. BruceBritchard.com. VIP is all sold out. General admission still there. But we are not. We are out of here. We'll see you next week right here for Rob Van Dam on something to wrestle with. The 420 edition. Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.